his car toppled, building and tired, just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the gregarious Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Rob? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm busy right now. I'm, I'm doing the extensive synopsis for the Aquaman issue. So can you just keep talking? I'm, I'm a little busy right now. Thank you. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, well, folks, it is our review episode, uh, our issue, whatever, episode, right? Yeah, okay. We're, we're, woo! we're back after a month. Uh, we are going to be covering Aquaman from the New 52, number 28, and Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man, as my friend from uh, Philly says, classic, number eight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I say. It's exactly what you sound like, yeah. <laughs> so, I, so are you done with your review? Uh, no, this is extensive. Everyone's been complaining the last two uh, episodes that I got Mike Bailey to do it. So I'm going to do it again, and uh, I'm going to all make you pay for it. So uh, that's what we're planning. Uh, I want to ask you, how are all the Who's in Whoville? Oh, Who's in Whoville, good. Uh, I just got back from the – well – just a couple weeks ago, got back from the Gallifrey One convention in Los Angeles, a Doctor Who convention. The it's got some qualifier, but it's like the largest fan-run Doctor Who convention in the world, or some qualifier to it. Anyway, um, so good, amazing, absolutely loved it. It is such a f- friendly, inviting uh, convention. It's a blast. Um, in fact, guys, if you want to go, and I highly recommend it, they're going to be selling tickets towards the end of March. They go on sale. I think it's like March 21st or something. Check out the website. They will sell out. Last year they sold out in 12 days. Jeez. So if, exactly. So if you want to get a ticket, buy it quick. Just make sure I get mine, please. And, wait, um, wait, wait, I'll, wait, wait, wait. They're selling tickets for next year's show in February at the end of March? Yes. Wow. Well, a lot of conventions you can actually buy the ticket for the next year on site. Really? I didn't know. Well, okay. yeah. I mean, think about it. They get the advanced cash. That's true. You know, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. 
Wow. And uh, la- last year they sold out in 12 days. So their expectation is, you know, it'll be very similar this year. Now, you know, this is kind of cool. You know what? Uh, while I was out there, um, guess who I ha- had lunch with? Oh, that's right. You mentioned this on Facebook. Who was it? I forget. Uh, David Gutierrez. Ah. So right. one of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, one of our nuclear subs. So uh, he, he, he messaged me on Facebook. We got together. We had lunch. It was great. So nice guy. Trying to talk him to go to the doctor you can mention next year. Going to twist his arm. Oh, so he He's wasn't. My, he wasn't there for that. He was. He lives around there. Yeah, he lives up the street. Oh. So um, anyway, he he's my ultraverse buddy. <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, so yeah, folks, Gallifrey One, check it out. It's awesome. Sorry. Right. Done with that synopsis yet? Good lord. Uh, no, not yet. Hold on, page three. Aquaman. Okay. Uh, Aquaman, <laughs> swim. Aquaman, swim some more. I'm telling you, I'm going to make everybody regret not me not getting <laughs> Bailey back. Why don't you do we? Why don't we do in suck trades while I uh, uh, annotate these notes? Absolutely. <laughs> well, folks, uh, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, I am going to pimp a book I've actually pimped before. Uh, for an in-stock trades app, but I just had to mention again. Folks, you need to order, if you don't own it already, a little trade paperback called Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Uh, this collects issues 1 through 5 of the original series by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. It also collects the unpublished sixth issue. Uh, Firestorm was a victim of the uh, was it DC implosion. DC implosion. And so issue number six never saw general release. And that will become more important later in this episode. Anyway, so you, you need to buy this trade. It normally retails for $17.99. It's 176 pages, full color. You can get it for 45% off, only, only $9.89. You need to own this. What you got, Rob? I've been listening to Michael Bradley's new Superman Batman podcast, which is uh-huh. a whole lot of fun. He does random issues of World's Finest. Uh, he hasn't done a feedback episode yet, uh, Mike. you got to get on that. But uh, the <laughs> random issues of World's Finest are really cool. So I picked a Showcase Presents World's Finest Trade Paperback Volume 4. Uh, this new volume collects World's Finest comics numbers 174 through 178, 180 through 187, 189 through 196, and 198 through 202. Features Superman and Batman team-ups plus a Superman Flash race. 520 pages in black and white featuring artwork by Neil Adams, Kurt Swan, Dick Dillon, Ross Andrew, and others. In stock trades, uh, normal price is nineteen ninety nine. In stock trades price is only ten ninety nine. That's forty five percent off. And I really love this era of world's world's finest because this was when DC just did not know what to do with Superman and Batman anymore. And you can tell <laughs> by the cover because on the cover you've got Superman and Batman hitting each other with axes, while Lois Lane <laughs> and some other woman cheer them on. So it's just cla- it's just fantastic nuttiness. So uh, in, anybody who enjoys nutty Superman and Batman stories, and who doesn't? Uh, pick up this volume, 500 pages for 11 bucks. You can't beat it. I got to tell you, I have a soft spot for from the old world's finest. I don't know if it's that particular era or not, but the Super Sons of Superman and Batman. This is just before that. The Super Sons is the early 70s, and this is like late 60s, early 70s. But we're, we're getting right to that point. Yeah, it's complete and utter nuttiness. I freaking love them. They're yeah. so ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> all right. So, uh, all right, folks, everyone sit back in your easy chair, put on your smoking jacket, um, perhaps intravenous fluids, a uh, couple of depends, because this is apparently going to take a while. Yeah, you write an opera while you're listening to this. It's going to be a long, long slog. Anyway, yes, I'm back doing the summations for Aquaman. This is Aquaman number 28 by Jeff Parker, Paul Pelletier, and Sean Parsons. Paul Pelletier is back for the whole issue. Yay. Uh, the story is called Triton. Uh, it picks up right off where number 27 left off with Aquaman, Mirror, and some of the Atlantean guys uh, searching. They're following the um, the mental signal that the uh, Karakuen left back in the previous issue. And Look at you pronouncing that. Thank you. And they stumble upon a giant undersea installation, which was not an Atlantean installation, so they're a little upset about that. Uh, they see the uh, that skin diver guy getting attacked by sharks. Aquaman jumps out to save him. One of this uh, group of scientists that we saw again in the previous issue thinks Aquaman is attacking. He fires missiles at Aquaman, and Stephen Shin stops. You know, basically jumps in to say, "Stop, you idiot! He's trying to save our, he's trying to save that uh, Combs guy." Uh, and they're like, "Oh, okay, that's what's going on." Aquaman fights off the missiles. <laughs> fight, see, I told you I'm bad at this. See, you all miss Bailey now, don't you? Uh, Aquaman. Do, do, we, do we have to give Bailey like a 1099 for what he did I, for I us? I believe so. I, uh, <laughs> don't interrupt me. I'm trying to finish this, Shag. Come on. <laughs> Aquaman fights off the sharks. He saves Combs, brings him over to the installation. They, he is not met with a – he's not given a friendly reception. They basically point these laser rifles at him and tell him to go kiss off, which he does. Uh, we then cut over to Amnesty Bay. Yay! Where Aquaman and Mira get to hang out. We see Salty. Just awesome. Name check. Name check, salty. salty. Thank you. Thank you. And then we learn that Aquaman has been invited to his high school reunion. He doesn't want to go, of course, because he was feeling a bit ostracized. But Mira says, no, you got to go. You got to go. We get a nice little flashback to Aquaman as a young lad when the time when he uh, put one of his classmates in a coma by punching him so hard they knocked him out for a month, which is awesome. It's my favorite moment of the book. Um <laughs> 13-year-olds punching each other. I would have nice. loved to have done that when I was a kid. Uh, so then, But then the main, the main thrust of the issue is the high school reunion. And Aquaman and Mira make quite a splash when they show up, of course, because, you know, it's like, hey, we've got a superhero in our graduating class. And uh, various members of his, of his high school class uh, share stories about Aquaman, and some of them are – some of them really were warm remembrances and some are not. Mira meets uh, this woman named Katie, who Aquaman briefly dated in high school, which is a fun thing. The party moves on to the beach where they're sitting around a campfire and they're telling some stories. And it turns out that uh, Aquaman is more warmly remembered than, than he thought, which is kind of a nice thing. And then the issue ends with this guy who I think is the, the same guy that was snooping around in Amnesty Bay previously – He's in an archaeological dig. He finds the trident, the uh, old, the Neptune. No. What? No. Okay. <sighs> Have to interrupt you. On page 11, yes. he is watching Aquaman tell Mara right. a, a, the story. He writes down the code to get into their house. He does? Yeah. He's got a little pad of paper and it says, because earlier we saw ba- um, Aquaman type, I, talk, I called him Batman. So we saw Aquaman type in a code to get into his little lighthouse. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the guy actually had his binoculars. And he's written down the word code. Oh, you're right. Got, you're right. He has. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he broke what we're supposed. What you're supposed to pick up on is that he broke into the house and stole the trident. Huh. I did not get that. Well, Aquaman was at the reunion. I did not get that at all. See, I did have to interrupt. All right. All right. Well, anyway, he put. Well, now you've just taken all the fun out of it, Jake. He puts. <laughs> the, 
he puts the <laughs> trident into the uh, the rune stone, as he calls it, and he with with the intention of bringing back the lost continent of Atlantis. He puts it in there. All sorts of crazy lights start shimmering, and there's smoke, and you hear these voices saying, "It works." They're opening the door. At long last, we return, and that is the end of the issue. So there you go. You're all, are you all happy out there? <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good issue. I, yes. I, yes. I was not looking forward to the high school reunion stuff. That but, was my favorite part of the issue. Was that? I agree. But going in, I was like, "Oh, this isn't going to go well. This is going to be dumb." I, not that I was questioning Jeff Parker or anything. I just, I just didn't think I would enjoy it because I personally hated my ten-year reunion to the point where I refused to go to my twenty. And this was a really good representation of your high school reunion. It was right. well done. And I really enjoyed that part of the book. So I was very pleased with this issue. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I like, I said, I think the flashbacks to Aquaman being a kid was cool. I like the idea that, like, he, the reason he punches that kid is because they find a beached whale. And Aquaman is trying to communicate with the poor thing as it's sort of in its death throes. And the little bastard kid is carving his name in the side of the whale. And you see, it's really hideous. And Aquaman is, uh, young Arthur Curry is like, you know, stop doing that. And the kid doesn't. And then he hauls off and belts him and knocks him into a coma. So it's, you know, it's totally justified. Uh, but uh, we find out later that that kid, grown into a, an adult, has been basically living off that story, the, uh, the uh, approximate fame of that story for the rest of his life. So it was obviously not too terribly shattered by that experience. But, uh, yeah, I was, you know, after... Being, things being kind of so grim, it's nice to have Aquaman and Mira, you know, have something fun to do. Plus, it's nice to have them just together and being a couple, which is something I said from like a year ago that I wish they would do more of. And on the surface, almost the whole issue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so and yeah. The artwork is nice. Paul Pelletier, like I mentioned, is back for the whole issue, which is great. There's a panel he draws in like page three where Aquaman shoots out of the, uh, the little subby thing. Yeah. To save Coombs, that looks like that classic Aquaman stock art that Murphy Anderson did in the seventies, like the creating the uh, curved uh, as he's like swimming, like a curved oh, yeah. back thing, which yeah. I really love. I think that's a really iconic shot. So yeah, I was very happy to see that. Um, I'm gonna. I wasn't as happy with the art in this issue. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it, other than some characters I felt like were off model, like Mara. Her, her face through a lot of it, like, this seemed off-model, which kind of upset me. And it may have been inking, I don't know. Because I, I love the story, and I love some of the panels were brilliant. But some of the panels, like, there's a panel where they're sitting on the beach and Mary's drinking out of a bottle mm-hmm. of beer. And, and unless she's just being, you know, the dolphin girl from Splash and not knowing how to do, do anything, uh, there's no way that bottle's anywhere working for her, getting a beverage out of that. Okay. So I just... And... and I just feel like, again, could have been thinking, could have been rushed work, because we, we all know Peltier is wonderful. So um, I wasn't as thrilled with the art this issue. I'll just, yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, it wasn't terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing it. I, unfortunately, just we've got 27 issues of really high caliber, you know, to, to bench it against. And so I'm, I'm probably being more unfair than I should. I was happy because I mentioned previously I'm not a huge fan of Nefo Diaz, so I was glad right. that Peltier did the whole thing. But again, I just I like the overall lighter tone of it. Uh, I almost was sort of grumbling, not almost, I was, when we rejoined the sort of, you know, Atlantean subplot on the last page. I'm like, ugh. You know, I knew we had to do that because you can't end the issue on the uh, 
the campfire thing, but I wish we kind of had, because I, I really, I, I said, I just enjoyed them being characters and being part of the, of the, the community again and finding out that people actually like them and stuff. I liked seeing that Aquaman had a teenage girlfriend, albeit very briefly. I thought that was cute. And yeah. uh, like he gave her shells every day. Like, that's great. Uh, you know, I thought that was really sweet. And uh, I liked that, you know, the mirror was wanted to get to know this girl as opposed to writing her as like being jealous or something stupid like that. I was like, no, no, no. She actually, you know, wanted to talk to this girl. So, uh, and of course he said the return of salty, the officially name checked salty. <laughs> well, he got name checked an issue two ago too. So well, he did, yeah. but I yeah. think this is the first time Aquaman says it. Am I wrong? I think this is. Um, well, somebody see. said it in a previous issue. Right. I think the, the, the it, may, it may have been Mara or somebody. Yeah, or, or it could have been the cop. But I think yeah. it's the cop. I think it's the first time I actually hear Aquaman say it. That's fantastic. Yeah. So. You know, you know, one of the things I liked about the reunion too. I, I liked everything you mentioned. You know, like you said, Mara and the ex girlfriend, all that. I loved. How, oh. I loved how uncomfortable. Arthur was. Mm-hmm. I loved. I loved seeing him in a suit, you know, like a regular surface dweller suit. I thought that was great because we just don't see him dressed like that often enough. And um, I just noticed her dress was green. I didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, I, I also dug there. There was a level of realism to this. Like if, if you've ever had, like if you went to school with anybody that ever became popular, like or famous, like an actress or an actor. Uh, I'll give you an example. The high school I went to, uh, um, the, there's a guy who went to that school, and at one point he was sort of well-known because he was the kicker for the Florida State Seminoles. Mm. And that was kind of a big deal. Uh, now it's our hometown, so not you know, too shocking. But either way, it's amazing how people suddenly remember things differently when someone becomes famous. Ah, uh, yes. They're all, oh, yeah, I had a class with him. We were pals. <laughs> I didn't even know your name dude you know or or whatever they just they start creating stories for themselves or, or they just remembering bigger maybe is the way to put it about their involvement with that person sure, who became sure. famous and so there was it just rang very true to me how all these people have stories involved with him you know like everything they thought happened in their lives he had something to do with you know and he's at one point he's finally saying you know himself he's like i didn't do everything right there's a, we see he there's a guy that walks up to him and talks about how he, he was sorry for for uh, what he did to Aquaman, and Aquaman has no memory of this guy at all. And he's just yeah. like, who, who is that guy? I have no, I have no clue what you're talking about. So yeah, so you're right. Everybody has everybody has built it up over the years, the, the yep. legend. When in fact none of that really happened. So, but also shows you know, twenty years later or whatever his reunion is, you, you kind of stop caring about stuff too. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether this is ten year, twenty year, but it's it's really well done. I really dug it. So, and, it's and by need- the way, the end the ending. You said it's it's reintroducing the uh, Aqua the Atlantis plot. Well, that's disappointing. I thought this was like a the D, new fifty two version of Blue Devil number one because <laughs> they had a, a, a stone. It's very similar. You know, it wasn't a trident, but it was sort of a, a piece of you know sculpture that went in a slot and Nebros came out and I was kind of hoping it would be something like that but you're probably right never mind yeah. I'd, be, I'd be happy if it was Nebros that'd be cool that'd uh, be awesome it, just going back for a second to the high school reunion thing uh, it occurs to me this might be like the only DC character that you could write this story for because I think he's the only DC character that has a doesn't have a secret identity Right? I mean, you can't do, huh. you can't do this with Superman. You can't do it with Batman. You can't do it with Wonder Woman. You can't do it with Flash. Uh, right? You, they, you could you could do it with Elongated Man, ooh. but I don't know that he even exists have in they, this universe. Yeah. Have they, have they even brought Elongated Man back in the new 52? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Is Oliver Queen's identity public? I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. You want to hear something weird, totally off topic? My wife 
and, and stepson every night watch episodes of Arrow on Netflix. Okay. And I'm not watching with them because I just don't care. Me neither. Like, I've like heard I it was watched, good, but I just don't care to watch it. And I know I just outraged half the people on the podcast uh, listening. I know I did. But, I, like, I watched the first few episodes with them. And, like, I, the, the overacting just got to me. Like, the, the super pretty people and the overacting just got to me. And then um, I understand it gets better about halfway through the first season. And I should probably give it a second chance. And I do walk through the room once in a while and be like, that's Roy Harper? Oh, my God. <laughs> kind of, you know. Yeah, I mean, they but, are doing – I mean, Black Canary's on the show. I mean, they are doing right? more and more stuff. And, of course, one of the Firestorm characters on there. Yeah, one of Firestorm's characters is, is the regular, sort of a love interest almost. Yep. Anyway, uh, totally took us off tangent. I apologize. So, uh, great issue. I lo- did you did you see the bit where Aquaman had the hook hand in the in the yeah, guy's memory? In the guy's that memory, was... yeah, I thought that was cute. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, 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 we got to talk about Coombs. Um, so he's lost his legs, he's lost his arms, he's on, on death's door, and this scientist is going to go experiment on him. Now, since we talked last month, I mentioned to you, he thought he was that the, the reference to that character from Showcase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I looked up, it was, it was showcase number 32. His name was Jed Coombs, and he became the creature king of the sea, that, that giant purple dude on right. the cover of the showcases. I, it's got to be it, man. This has got to be an, an it's got to be a, a nod to that. It doesn't make any, you know, why else would they do this? Interesting. That's an interesting theory. Well, you need we'll to ask see. Jeff. I will ask Jeff. I will. I won't tell you what he says, but I'll ask. Damn it! See, <laughs> <laughs> so, right. overall, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I really did. I, I, Light, some lighthearted fun, nice artwork. Overall, very good. I would say love the lighthearted fun, loved the story. I felt like I got a complete story. I felt like I got some good character development, which was wonderful. Um, not as pleased with the art as you, but still, I mean, solid. I mean, still was solid. Just there's a couple of pieces here and there, and uh, overall, very pleased. All right, cool. Well done, fellas. All right. Okay, well, that's... Good on, you, good on you, boys. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to play a couple of ads from some of our uh, new... Some some of our favorite shows and some new shows, which I think we will enjoy. And when we come back, we will talk about Fury of Firestorm classic. Clan- <laughs> that was hard for you, wasn't it? Anyway, when we get back, we'll talk about Firestorm. <laughs> Bye. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am back! You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for a podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly, every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that, too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. Franklin. For the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterman Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. 
join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarter Bin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. December 7th, Earth 2. 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents the All-Star Squadron. Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. And it is now time for... Class... Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. (laughs) You jumped the gun. (laughs) I'll give you your cue. The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number eight. Hit it, Rob. Classic. (laughs) Ha ha ha! It's like half Philly, half Jersey. I love it. Okay. So, folks, this is cover dated January 1983, and you'd think this came out in 1983, right? But you'd be wrong. That's not how it works. They have months, like, ahead of time. It's weird. That was such anyway, a straw, like- man. That was such a, that was such a <laughs> straw. Nobody thought that, Jack. No one thought that. You're like, yeah, you all thought that. No, you're wrong, you idiots. Like, everybody out there was like, I didn't think that. Who's he yelling at? I don't understand. <laughs> Stop! Don't don't step on my banter. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> did I interrupt your your synopsis? Yes, in fact, I did. <laughs> See, <laughs> I paused there so everybody listening would go, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> All right. So anyway, cover dated January '83. Actually, Which means hit the it came out in January on October seventh, right? 19- That's what that means. So sit your way back, machines, if you want to get a brand new copy of this, folks. That's the date you're going for. Twenty three pages for sixty cents. Sixty cents. I did the math on this. Check this out. Okay. This comic book here, each page costs the average – each comic book page or each story page, I should say, cost the purchaser an average of 2.6 cents. 2.6 cents for the story, each page of this story. Modern-day comic, 15 cents per page for story. Thanks, Obama. 
crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, it's so upsetting. You know, they, they, anyway. All right. So, uh, <laughs> I have so many things I could say. Um, this is the return of Typhoon. And folks, this uh, summary is going to be dedicated to uh, Luke Giaconetti, whose favorite line is, The Typhoon is a storm of the soul. So, anyway. I think that's a Yes album, if I remember correctly. It's my, it's my long-distance dedication. So, the cover is a gorgeous piece by Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano. You've got uh, Firestorm flying out. Out of the city, getting ready to fight Typhoon, who is hovering over, it looks like the bay or whatever, New York, maybe that's the river? I don't know. Hudson River. Anyway, Hudson. Hudson River. Yeah, because people are out sailing in the Hudson River. Anyway, there's <laughs> sailboats and other boats caught up in his, in his Typhoon, and those people are being thrown, uh, and Firestorm's coming up there, and it says, uh-oh, just when you thought it was safe to go out in the rain. Typhoon! So, I will tell you, it is a gorgeous cover with one flaw. And it is not Dick, Gior- Dick Giordano's inking, by the way. For those of you who listen to the Who's Who podcast, this inking is beautiful. The problem is the tagline. The tagline says, just when you thought it was safe to go out in the rain. There's no rain on this cover. Uh, that's, well, okay. Maybe it stopped temporarily for the typhoon. They're out there in bikinis. It's a sunny day. Well, uh, you know, okay. Maybe these two are not the brightest New Yorkers in the world. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it, it, it's the tagline's fault. Because take the tagline out, the cover's perfectly fine. So, anyway. I, the one right. observation I have on the art is, and this is not a criticism of Pat Broderick. I'm just having drawn a great many things in my time. I think I've been there. I am reasonably sure that Pat Broderick started out drawing the New York City, and he was like, I am going to draw the crap out of New York City, man. I'm just going to draw every building. This is going to be awesome. And then partway through, he's like, oh, God, this is so much work. Forget it. Just, just let's just just Greek it in and put it in purple. There you go. We're done. I, 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 I'm not saying it looks bad. It doesn't. I think it actually works better because if you had it fully rendered, it would uh, draw your attention away from the main figures. But I just get that feeling because there's a lot of detail in that city back there. There's there is. There specific is a lot. buildings and everything else. And I just get the sense that he started it with all great intentions and then just realized, what the hell am I thinking? Forget it. No, no, no. Let's just let's, – okay. Let's just – it's done. We're done. <laughs> And he put, in a, he put a notation on the sidelines, color is color, New York City purple. Thank you. <laughs> you know what it sort of like reminds me of? It's, it's not a layout the same way, but that very Aquaman number 56 with the, the, the monster that devoured Detroit. Oh, Creature, or the, Creature that devoured Detroit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my, you know, I, I always refer to that comic because I, I love that comic. So. Anyway, all right. Uh, now here... So once you open it up, a little bit different. This is the first issue of this run not done by Broderick, but that's okay. You've got uh, Jerry Conway, writer-editor. Roden Rodriguez is your inker embellisher. Uh, Adam Kubert on, letter, uh, on letters and Gene D'Angelo on colors. That's your regular team there, folks. However, they are joined this issue and next for, with a guest penciler, a, f- a quote-unquote future superstar, Jerome Moore. Now, we actually talked about him just recently on a Who's Who podcast. Right. Uh, for those of you who may be confused, it is the same as Jerome K. Moore, same person. I, I didn't realize, I did the research on it. At this point, this comic is the very first full-length comic he ever drew that got published. It's, uh, it's amazing. He, he had done a couple of just uh, Green Lantern backup stories, and that's it. So um, I would say, it, I think throughout the comic, he did a really nice job. Uh, uh, most of the characters are very, very on model now, he does have Roden Rodriguez helping him, who has 
Roden Rodriguez has sort of been the glue through Firestorm's history for the last few years. He, you know, he went through Perez and I want to say maybe Starlin and Cone. He, he did. He's he's inked a lot of folks, including Broderick. And so he's sort of been the consistency through a lot of uh, Firestorm. So some of that maybe Rodriguez, some of it maybe Jerome K. Moore. But I think he did a nice job. He's eight at this point. He was eighteen years old. Wow. And oh my. God. I know. Wow. I, it, I wouldn't say. There's anything amazing in here? I mean, there's no pages that are like blew my mind as far as like creativeness. I mean, most of the layouts are sort of traditional, but they're not bad. There's nothing boring about them. It's just they're you know, it, it looks like a, a kid's first comic he drew, and it's great. It's really well done. So, hats off to him for stepping on such a high profile book at the time, at, at such a young age, and doing a, a, a very very good job. You know. I did not know. I didn't notice the credits when I started when I went back to reread this issue, and so it took, oh. it took me about eight pages for sort of saying, "Wait a minute, I don't think Pat Roderick drew this." I think Rod Rodriguez is such a um, distinctive inker that he really sort of carries it and makes it look like Broderick. And it's only about halfway through that I started realizing. I th- and then I went back and looked at the splash page, like, "Oh, oh, I see. Okay." Yeah, so, yeah. I could see. I could see why if you're looking for going for a consistent look, Rod Rodden Rodriguez was a guy to get because he really does give the thing a consistent feel. Yeah, you know, a couple of, a couple episodes ago, folks, we did an episode uh, we called "Unsung Heroes," and we talked quite a bit about Rodden Rodriguez. So it might be worth checking out if you didn't hear it. So, uh, all right, uh, what else have we got here? Well, you know, I'll, I'll just do the story and then I'll get into the details of it. Uh, if you look at this from like a ten thousand foot level. You know, what this is, this is a story of a man who everything was taken away from him. Everything. His, his livelihood, his family, um, almost his life, everything was ripped away from him. And I'm talking about David Drake here. And, and the, it's his story of trying to take revenge against those he feels wronged him. That's, that's what this story is at a 10,000-foot level. And uh, as we get into the details of it, it starts off with Ronnie and Professor in the form of Firestorm testing out their powers. They're in their, he's in the Professor's lab at Concordance Research, and they are putting his Firestorm powers to the test. Because they really don't understand how powerful he is. So uh, they, they're doing some stuff. They start melting equipment, you know, because Firestorm's so powerful. And then uh, we get a sidebar here of Harry Carew, who is Professor Stein's friend and coworker. who I don't know if you remember. I had said some sort of disparaging things about him a couple months ago. And I said, it's a new year. I'm going to give him a fresh start. Harry, you know, let's let, you know, because Harry did something nice last issue. He gets a fresh start. Well, congratulations with uh, just one month in, Harry has re-earned his D-bag of the year award uh, by bugging every lab in the building and eavesdropping on all of his co-workers. What an ass. Anyway, so uh, Harry Carew is not really that important in the story, but I just wanted to make sure everyone knew he's back, back to being a jerk. So Ronnie and the professor, the, basically what they found out is the Firestorm's powers are practically unlimited. Uh, they do have some sort of limit, but for all intents and purposes, it, it, it's so much power, it's more than they would ever need, and, and it kind of boggles Professor Stein's mind. Then in the second scene, we are we visit with David Drake, who I mentioned him earlier. He is in Australia. He's just been released from a, a mental hospital, um, or actually, I guess it's a hospital, but there was also some psychiatric care going on. Either way, he is sitting there on a park bench reading a letter from his wife. She has decided to divorce him, and he is completely uh, ripped and shredded internally by this. And as he storms off, it says, and his heart is like a raging storm. Might be foreshadowing. I'm not hmm. sure. I don't know. 
So then uh, we are cut to Ronnie and his girlfriend Doreen um, and their friend Jefferson and his girlfriend. They are at the movies. They are seeing Rocky Four, which at this point I'm pretty sure was a joke. Because yes, I, there was no Rocky Four by this yeah, point. Right. I, I'm not even sure Rocky Three had come out by this point. Exactly. Uh, so I, that's, a, that's a funny joke that would actually get missed by a lot of people nowadays. And it's nice to see Ronnie and Doreen back together. They were apart for a while. Doreen is also a character who I decided it, um, last month, I said, you know what? All right, it's, it's a fresh or a new year. Let's cut her a break. And uh, Doreen gets a fresh start in 2014. So let's see how that works out for her. Uh, so they're at the movies, and Ronnie and Jefferson end up spending all the time talking about sports. And the girls feel a little left out. They sit down. Unfortunately, Cliff Carmichael is right behind them. And he slips uh, in, in this ongoing battle of slipping reptilian amphibious creatures in each other's stuff, which has been going since issue one. He drops a lizard, which he apparently just produces from his pocket. I don't know. Cliff drops it in their popcorn. Doreen puts her hand in the popcorn. The lizard jumps out, scares, you, scares her. She screams, and it causes a panic in the, in the uh, movie theater. And everyone runs out screaming. Literally a panic in the movie theater, sort of a fire in the theater sort of situation. Ronnie figures out it was Cliff. He has had enough of Cliff's shit and decks him. Yay. Uh, I know. I was, like, so happy. You get a dramatic scene of of Cliff's glasses falling and breaking Velma style. I thought that was cute. So they're they're sort of of, uh, angrily positioning at each other. Cliff challenges him to a real fist fight, you know, tomorrow. Doreen says, how dare you? You better not fight him. If you do it, you'll do it without me. Ronnie gets pissed off and storms off. And congratulations, Doreen. You have re-earned the Bitchy Girlfriend of the Year Award. So, both of them, with their fresh start, got exactly one month between Harry and Doreen. So sorry. Then the whole next scene is following uh, this really interesting retelling of Typhoon's origin. It's all from the viewpoint of this captain from a ship. And what I like about this is, if you hadn't read the original issue with Typhoon, which I I doubt you have, Rob, the flashback up where this actually happened. No. It's... It's a very interesting, skewed retelling. And at no point do they really correct him. It's not like one of those where you read it and they go, this is it, just his skewed view. Here's what really happened. No, you only get his slanted view of the events. Firestorm actually looks like this, you know, he's got this, like, demon face. Right, like, well, Rah. I mean, that, that's the tip-off that this is an unreliable narrator is that Firestorm yep. looks like a monster. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just, as a reader, you know it's not accurate. However... It's interesting that they don't correct you and, and correct this and tell you what really happened. I like that. That was very, very cool. nice of Jerry uh, Conway to, to trust his readers. Yep, and of course you get the rounded corners, so you know rounded it's rounded corners is flashback. I thought of you when I saw that. <laughs> Couldn't help it. So you get you get the flashback. It just essentially what it was is there was a bathysphere, uh, experimental bathysphere. They were using it out in a in a in the ocean. Um, this captain was the captain of the ship, and David Drake was in the bathysphere, and. The bathysphere went down in the middle of a storm. They had to cut the rope and let the bathysphere go. This firestorm demon attacked. And uh, unfortunately, while the captain was defending the ship, he accidentally shot David Drake. And then suddenly the typhoon creature was created because some water got in the bathysphere. And that created typhoon. And the captain plays himself as the innocent and all this. In reality, the guy was horrible. He forced them to put the bathysphere out. He made them put it out. He bullied them into it. And then... And then he cut the line because the storm was so bad. This is not in the comic. I'm just telling you. Um, the storm was so bad, they cut the line. He insisted on it, left David Drake to die. David Drake was saved by Firestorm. The captain realizes he's going to get in trouble for attempted murder and actually shoots David Drake, trying to kill him. 
And so when Typhoon is created, it's all this captain's fault. So Typhoon, uh, David Drake shows up in the bar, confronts the captain, and there's this really cool page of the captain being blown out of the bar. I don't know if that's by wind or water, but I love it on the bottom of page 14. It's really great. I think that may be my favorite panel. So Typhoon attacks. Uh, they then take us to New York where he's continuing to uh, – he's attacking the Concordance building where Professor Stein is. He then comes after Stein because he considers Stein to also be culpable in what's happened to him. And again, all of this is he feels like his life between being created to Typhoon, uh, his wife filing for divorce, which, by the way, means he's not going to see his kids, which really he cares more about his kids than his wife, I think. Um, all of these things that has just totally destroyed his life, he blames the captain from that ship, and he blames Professor Stein. So Professor Stein immediately calls for Firestorm. Firestorm shows up. There's a little bit of a battle with uh, Typhoon there. There's actually a very nice splash page of Firestorm coming through the wall of Concordance Research, you see Professor Stein floating the air, and Typhoon's in the background, like a battle's about to start. That's a bit nice. Firestorm then transfers, transforms what I believe is the entire top of the Empire State Building into a giant fan to try and blow Typhoon away, and Typhoon then blasts him with lightning, uh, blasts the fan with lightning, and, and Firestorm saves some people, and in the end, Firestorm is zapped what I assume by with the bolt of lightning, and he is sinking into the ocean unconscious, and Professor Stein is looks terrified. So, next issue, baby, the rain must fall. Um, and uh, that's that issue. What would you think of it, man? Uh, I liked it. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, after last issue where Martin Stein's glasses get destroyed and now Carmichael's glasses get destroyed, I'm looking forward to see whose glasses get destroyed in number nine. <laughs> seems to be an ongoing thing. Um, I just have a couple of like sort of random observations. First of all, I had to reread the sequence where Cliff Carmichael dumps the lizard in the popcorn several yeah. times because the way it's colored, the lizard is kind of grayish. So I thought it was a rat, uh, and I'm well. like, God, Cliff, that's really out of line. <laughs> like, oh, it's just a lizard. Okay. Um, I love. I guess it, it is kind of the same color as the background. Yeah, yeah. I see that. I, I guess they're doing because it's inside a movie theater. It's dark. Uh, yeah, but. I have to say, I love the evil Firestorm face in the yeah. Typhoon flashback. There's this, there's a panel on page 11. We'll have to post this on the uh, Tumblr where it's just a close-up of, of Firestorm's head flowing out of the water, and he looks, he looks like a, he looks like a, he looks like a witch. I mean, he's like got this giant nose and these pointy teeth. It's it's really hideous, and uh, I um, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I'm sure it's for its maybe unintentional comedy. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, no, it's good. You know, I mean, Sid Conway was on a, you know, this is a remarkably consistent issue considering that you've got a fill-in penciler and, as you pointed out, an 18-year-old penciler. That's incredibly young. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about what I was doing at 18 at the Kubert School and what, you know, doing a whole comic book. No way. Uh, Typhoon is a, is a good villain for Firestorm. I, we think we've mentioned on the show before other people have that it's sort of surprising they've never had him square off against Aquaman, and that is true. Yeah. Uh, you see they seem perfectly built for one another. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, it was, you know, it was said another remarkably consistent issue, and I am retroactively impressed with how, I keep saying consistent, I have to think of another word, but, like, how much Jerry Conway hit the ground running with this series and managed to keep going, you know, so far... Eight issues into it, uh, that's that's pretty good. Well, I think it was his, probably his experience on Spider-Man, which is what helped him. Because 
it's, there's a lot of Spider-Man in this book and that you, you've got, you know, very yes, yes. colorful villains. You've got the teenage angst. You've got the fun. I mean, it, it feels like a Spider-Man book. You know? Yeah, all you need is like Aunt May dying every other month and you would really have like you know, If only Doreen Day would. Yeah. See, now you're really just indulging yourself. I, I gave her a chance. I really did. It, I'm done. I mean, Cliff Clavin freaking caused Cliff a panic Clavin. in a whoops. Ugh. Cliff Carmichael caused a panic in a movie theater. People could have died and been trampled. Yeah, that's a pretty so dickish he, move, I gotta say. Right. And so he punches out Cliff and she's pissed at him he's gonna have a fight. What? No! Woman! Ugh! So. <laughs> you know, Dames, what are you going to do? Dames is trouble. All right, I, got, I, have, I have lots of notes. I'll go through them as quickly as possible. Um, I mentioned earlier that you need to pick up the Firestorm Nuclear Man trade because it does have the very first, uh, well, it's issue number six, but it's the very first appearance originally of Typhoon. Right. And it's a different telling of Typhoon's origin. It's actually not even David Drake. It's a different guy. However, it's not um, typhoon. You know, <laughs> no, it's it's still typhoon, but, but it's 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 one of the shoeshine family, which I know how much you love the shoeshine family. So uh, anyway, one of the neat things though is this issue of Firestorm, the one we just read, number eight, and the original number six start the same way. They both start with Firestorm in a, in Professor Stein's lab, trying to push his powers to their maximum to test them because they don't understand how the powers work. So clearly, Conway repurposed that original piece for this issue. Never throw anything away. I tell. Well, you, you know, I, it's surprising. It, it's sort of interesting that he kept that same piece for the Typhoon issue. You know, he could have done that in any other issue, but he he carried it through for, for Typhoon issue. It was, you know, that is that is the mark of a true craftsman. Yeah. So <clears throat> there, there there's some interesting things here. You know that that's the I love that parallel. Um, Typhoon, by the way, has quite a pedigree of artists. You know, Al Milgram drew him originally, even though it didn't get published. Then Jim Starlin drew him for the flashback ups. Now Jerome K. Morn has drawn him. I mean, for a character at this point who – this is honestly probably most people's first introduction to the character was right here. Because like, they probably didn't read the flashback ups. It, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good pedigree for such a you know, main sort of character – or a minor character. Let's see. Harry Carew, we talked about that. I do love there is a quick change moment where Harry Carew bursts in to Professor Stein's lab to see what's going on. And in between panels, they have transformed from Firestorm in pain to Ronnie and the Professor. And Ronnie's actually sweeping up a bunch of glass. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's a nice detail. <laughs> it, it was well done. So it was cool. Let's see. I like how they had at the movie theater, how the boys were ignoring the girls. Because mm-hmm. that's a very teenagery thing to do. You know, the guys get talking to each other and they completely forget about the girls. So I thought that was that was pretty good. So there's a funny panel. You know, when they're running out of the theater uh, on page seven, where Jefferson is actually carrying his girlfriend. Yeah, he's got to pick her up entirely. But like the pose is is pretty awkward. So I mean, it's it's kind he of is funny strong. He's not even he's not even right. straining to lift this woman up in the air. And he's holding her really far away, yeah. and she's in a p- perfect you know, sitting position. So that cracks me up. <laughs> Uh, now, um, the the stuff with the captain and the stuff with David Drake, I mean, David Drake really has had a shitty life. I feel horrible for this guy. I mean, seriously, that, that evil, the captain, I forgot the captain's name. What's his name? It's in here. It's Captain Hammer or something like that. I don't know what his name is. Um, the, the captain. It's Captain Hammer, yeah. Is it really? Oh, it really is Captain yeah, Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Not played by uh, the castle, but anyway. Uh, or Malcolm Reynolds. So. 
he really did pressure them into putting the bathysphere in the ocean. Then he cut the line. Then he shot David Drake. I mean, he has done some horrible things to David Drake. And all because of that, the only reason David agreed to even go in the bathysphere was because he couldn't afford to lose the job. He was trying to make enough money to support his family. Right. So it's all tied together. And the fact that all of that now has cost him to lose his family, I feel horrible for the guy. You know, He's stuck in Australia and his wife breaks up with him back from the States. Oh, God. She had nice handwriting, so, though. You got to say that. She did. She did. And I'm I'm kind of glad that uh, I, ho- I. It's hard to tell whether he actually killed Captain Hammer or not. I hope he did. So he really deserved it. So, uh, um, there is a part in here where Professor Stein is is looking at these graphs in sort of pondering where Firestorm's power comes from. And if you are a reader of Firestorm nowadays, you might be saying to yourself, aha, I know what that is. It is the Big Bang, because at the center of Firestorm is the spark of the Big Bang. Well, if that's what you're thinking, you would be wrong. Because <laughs> in this little trade paperback called Firestorm the Nuclear Man, issue number six, the unpublished issue number six, where they do the experiments, where they perform uh, testing Firestorm's powers, it's very similar to this issue. Uh, uh, Professor Stein uh, actually reveals Firestorm's powers are coming from the cosmic rays around them. That's actually the source of their powers. He says, you know, uh, something to the effect of whenever Firestorm uses his powers, the cosmic rays around the universe are actually the levels drop. So that's where Firestorm is getting his powers from. Well, I think that's what Jerry Conway was building to here. He was going to have an ongoing subplot of it. And eventually he decided he would address it in the Firestorm graphic novel called Corona. Hmm, sun, Corona, cosmic rays. It's all right there. Uh, with graphic novel, which never actually came to be. Yeah, so. I was about to say, there was a Firestorm graphic novel? Exactly. It was going to be one of DC's earliest graphic novels, and it never happened. So. Huh. I've done a bunch of research on it. Supposedly, Broderick drew a couple pages. Ooh. No one's ever seen them. Oh, Jerry, man. Jerry, I, I, talked to, I, I contacted Jerry recently about it. He didn't really remember much about it. It's been so many years. So, oh, sort of an un- undiscovered. I know it was going to be Broderick doing it too. Now, a lot of it was adapted um, by supposedly by Conway uh, and drawn by Raphael Cayenne for one of the annuals I think called Corona. But I don't. I, I we just don't know how much of it legitimately was what was going to be in the graphic novel. So, huh. anyway, um, they really transformed the entire. T- Am I right? Is that the Empire State Building? Yes, that's the Empire State Building. Into a giant fan. <laughs> Like, it's goofy and fun, but, like, that's like a landmark, man. Yeah, that's really, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, was, who, was the, who was the mayor at that time? Bloomberg or whatever? Uh, I think he's going to be no, pissed. No, this, this would have been Ed Koch. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, he, I think he's going to be pretty pissed. Anyway, there is a nice scene where Typhoon is going out over the river again, and he's pulling up all these boats in his Typhoon. You know, sort of unintentionally, but either way, it's, it's pulling people up and it's, kill, it, it's about to kill all these people in these boats as they're being flung from the boat. But Firestorm actually transforms the rain into little parachutes to help them all land, which I thought was just really neat. I like that. So, And by the way, one thing I didn't mention is Typhoon in his previous appearance in the flashback up was almost a mindless monster. Here, he has a consciousness and he is actively taking revenge. So the character has really changed at this point. So makes for uh, an interesting comparison between then and now, and, and and makes a or at least then and earlier then, and makes for I don't know d- d- character development. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's easier to write somebody as you know than than and the character just goes Rawr! all the time. I mean, it's exactly. gonna get boring really fast. 
Yep. And, and the ending with Firestorm drowning, I think we need to start like a counter on this, on how many times Firestorm is threatened by drowning. I can only think <laughs> of two or three, but they jump out enough. I mean, this reminds me very much of the later scene Jurgens did, you know, with Ronnie and Jason where that Firestorm was drowning too. And it's probably an intentional nod, but uh, it just jumped out at me. So overall, uh, great issue you know, for a fill-in artist. I mean, exceptional job for a fill-in artist, really. And especially being his first work ever. Wow. I gotta really say, I'm yeah, go sorry. Ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got to say, really, you're really putting the whammy on somebody when you introduce them as future superstar. Yep. That's not good. <laughs> like, oh, you know, oh. like, you know what I mean? It's just like, just, just introduce him. You don't need to tell everybody. He's going to be the next huge thing because usually when someone's introduced as the next huge thing, they're not the next huge thing. It's just there's something about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, he could have just said, we welcome guest penciler, Jerome Moore. Well, he did a really good he job. He did no, he did a great job. No, 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 I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying it's it's like if you go back and you look at like all the uh, uh musicians who've won best new artists for the Grammy Awards, like 90% of them have never been heard of again. There's just uh, something about uh, you, okay. just, you just get put behind the eight ball. Like it's like it's like when bands get called the, you know, for for a long time, the many bands in the 70s and 80s were they're the next Beatles. Oh, you're right, just right. completely putting the whammy on somebody when you do that. <laughs> you're screwed yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, he did a good job. He absolutely did. And I like Jerome K. Moore's work. I like the stuff he did on Green Arrow. And, uh, he, of course, he was the uh, almost fill-in for Craig Hamilton on Aquaman. So oh, he's, got the, he's got that Aquaman connection, too. Now, didn't he draw those – I want to say it was the Star Trek covers for DC years so. later? I think so, yes. I think the you're right The really, really, that. like, portrait-accurate ones? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So good. He's a very, very talented artist. You know, the, by the way, there's a fun ad in here. I don't you often talk about the ads, but there's a great one where Superman is trying to solve a, a case and catch, I think it's the Toy Man. Yeah. Uh, by, by using a, I always thought they were Rubik's snakes, but apparently it's not. Here it's just called the original magic snake. That was like a Rubik's Cube, but it was a snake-shaped thing. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> Superman's actually doing all the different permutations of what you can make out of a snake to solve all the crimes. So. That ad proof, ad proof, Superman will show for anything. <laughs> really will. So that's that's the issue. Um, I again, they're keeping that sort of formula where, for the most part, which is two issue arcs. You know, you've got issue eight and issue mm-hmm. nine of Typhoon. So I, I love that formula. I think it worked really well in these first you know dozen issues or so. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next part. Me you too. Know? Me too. Typhoon makes a great villain. I mean, he's so powerful. So, and, and you know, you mentioned he'd be a good villain for Aquaman. I think uh, up until nowadays with the new 52 Aquaman, I don't know that he would have been a tough villain for Aquaman because there's n- really nothing physical about Typhoon. He is literally a living storm. So he would actually be pretty difficult for, you know, traditional Aquaman to defeat. But now with the Trident and his, like, you know, boosted sort of abilities, now he might be more of a, you know, a, a challenge for him. Mm, maybe so. Aquaman needs, anyway. all the, Aquaman needs all the new villains he can get, so. That's true, you know. Yeah. You can co-op it. I suppose it'll be, I'll, we'll, we'll allow it. Oh, Us thank matches. you, we'll, thank you. We'll allow you Aquanauts to have one. Thank you. That's very generous. <laughs> you just got to convince Jeff Parker of that. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll, another thing I'll talk to Jeff about. There you go. Give him a call. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that is going to do it for this review episode uh, of the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, we'll be so- uh, very soon. I think we're planning on doing s- some feedback in an upcoming episode, whether it be a, f- a feedback-centric episode or just have some in there. We'll have it coming soon. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, be sure to head over to our Tumblr, 
uh, and check out some images from these issues. Rob, what's our Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Fantastic. You can find me and Rob on the interwebs. Uh, you can find Rob at AquamanShrine.net. He's also on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram under the same handle. Also, um, if you want to leave a comment on this show, please do so on any of those uh, sites, that just either our sites or the, the social medias. Just please use the hashtag of pound. FW podcast. That way we'll be sure to see it. And finally, you can also send us an email. Rob, what's our email address? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. Okay. I've got Rob trained so well. He does a really good job with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you your Scooby snack later. All right, folks. uh, That's going to do it for now. So be sure, until next time, to fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good-bad thing. What do you mean, bad? Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon.